pack your backpacks, grab your homework, and turn your volume up. Welcome to another edition of Pod Save the Teachers. We're here to discuss the best practices and the most important topics both in and outside of the classroom, as well as teach the tricks of the education trade. Now, without further ado, here's your host from the College of Education and Human Services, Dr. Mark Piercy. This is 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. Welcome to Pod Save the Teachers, the official podcast of the College of Education and Human Services here at Ryder University. I am your host, Dr. Mark Piercy. Uh, this is now our fifth episode, I think, fifth episode. And this episode is on diversity in schools. And I was just speaking with Vanessa, our student producer, that it's kind of a silly title to give this episode because diversity in schools is such a gigantic concept and there's so many dimensions of it and so many facets. So on this particular episode, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Maria Villalobos Buner, who is a professor of uh, in the Department of Languages, Literature and Cultures here at Rider University. And we're going to be talking about diversity primarily as a function of multilingualism and bilingualism, uh, developing a diverse perspective and helping teachers develop that perspective. Uh, and I'm a pretty good example of why we need that. And in order to illustrate that, I'm going to relate a story from my background. Uh, I graduated from college in 1993, and the first job I got was in Englewood, Florida, which is on the west coast of Florida, south of Tampa Bay, uh, on the Gulf Coast. And I taught at Lemon Bay High School, Lemon Bay High School, home of the Fightin' Manta Rays. Uh, the man- as far as we know, it's the only high school in the continental United States that has manta rays as a mascot. And when I got there, the first interview I had, I'm sitting outside the principal's office and I'm nervous and I'm anxious and I'm fiddling around. I'm trying to keep myself occupied. And on the table next to me, there's this little pamphlet that's about Englewood and about the school. And I was not from that county. I was not from that area. So I thought it might be a good idea to acquaint myself with it. So I'm looking at the pamphlet and it's got a little pie graph showing the breakdown of the demographics of the school. And I had never, ever, ever seen a pie graph like this before. Uh, it said that the school was around 1,200 kids, 98.9% white. And I did the math in my head, which is not a strong suit for me at all, but that means that somewhere between 11 and 12 kids in that school were non-white. And that doesn't mean black or Hispanic. That means non-white. That 11 or 12 kids out of 1,200 total population. And the crazy thing is, over my time there at that school, that population, that demographic really never changed. What that means is that I'm a prime example of one of the real problems of teaching in America. It's an increasingly diverse student body in America, but the teacher workforce has remained primarily monoethnic. A Washington Post analysis recently of school district data from 46 states and the District of Columbia found that only one-tenth of 1% of Latino students attend a school system where the portion of Latino teachers equals or exceeds the percentage of Latino students. And it's only marginally better for black students. 7% were enrolled in a district where the share of black teachers matches or exceeds that of students. Among Asian students, it's 4.5%. And meanwhile, 99.7% of white students attends a district where the faculty was as white as the student body. It is shocking how undiverse or non-diverse the teacher workforce is. It's, it's changing for the better a little bit, but still, it's nowhere where it needs to be. And what that means is the value of diversity and the value of diverse perspectives has really been absent in our schools. And People of color are less likely to go into teaching. They're less likely to stay in it. Education requirements, low pay, unhappy workplaces, and lack of respect all can contribute. And yet researchers have found significant positive results when black and Hispanic students have teachers who match their race or ethnicity, better attendance, fewer suspensions, more positive attitudes, higher test scores, higher graduation rates, better college attendance. And teachers of color also seem to have higher expectations for students of color, which may fuel all these gains. 
So how can we promote these ideas in our classrooms? How can we promote them in our colleges of education? How can we bring the value of diversity uh, and a sense of its strengths to our classroom? That'll be the subject of our conversation today with Dr. Villalobos. We'll follow that with our student spotlight. And today we have a very, very special student guest for our student spotlight, someone we've not spoken to who's been behind the scenes and doing a wonderful job for, here, for us here on Pod Save the Teachers. Uh, in the meantime, though, we'll be right back with Dr. Villalobos. This is Pod Save the Teachers, the official podcast of the College of Education and Human Services here at Ryder University. We're back for more Pod Save the Teachers with Dr. Mark Piercy. Mark is back up at the blackboard and ready to chalk up some extra tips for teaching. So let's return to our seats and tune back in to Pod Save the Teachers on 1077 The Bronx. This is 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. Welcome back to Pod Save the Teachers, the official podcast of the College of Education and Human Services at Ryder University. I am your host, Dr. Mark Piercy, and today we are welcoming our very special guest, Dr. Maria Villalobos. Buner, I'm sorry, I stepped on that one, of uh, the Department of Languages, Literature, and Cultures, Ryder University. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me. How you doing? Great, great, great. Now we have a sunny day and everything is good after such a long days of rain. I was saying that. This is, the <laughs> for me, being a Southerner, uh, you know, I, I recognize it's going to be cold for a while and it's going to be miserable, <laughs> but I, I'd always believed that March was when you came out of it. Uh, but that's not the case, it turns out. It turns out you, and for you particularly, I'm sure the weather has been hard to get used to. It is, it is. Yeah. But it's always hard in the north for me. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> you are not from the north. No, no, I'm from Colombia. Yes, it's, tell us about your background, uh, where you grew up, how you came to Ryder, uh, what you do here. It's an interesting, I mean, it's an interesting story. Even, even for me, when I reflect on my background and everything and, and how incredible it has been, Thanks to the fact that I, I speak several languages, and mm-hmm. that has um, that that skill, those skills have allowed me to really conquer the world. Let's put mm. it like that. <laughs> so, what is my background? I I did my my Bachelor of Arts in Colombia in languages, as a matter of fact, in education and linguistics, and then I moved to England. I lived in Europe for three years, and wow. I did my. Yeah, my master's degree in applied linguistics and TEFL, teaching English as a foreign language. And then um, after that, I also taught in England. So that gave me another uh, experience, uh, diversified my way of uh, teaching as well. And then I came to the States and I did my graduate work, my PhD from Michigan State University. Go Spartans. Go Spartans. That's a big change from <laughs> Columbia, I imagine. <laughs> it is. It is. But it's, there is a blessing. Well, many, many blessings, I, I would say. Mm-hmm. But um, it does really help me to navigate different, different contexts. Uh, different styles, different contexts, different people. So constantly I'm finding myself adapting and understand and kind of take a step back and observe culture. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that is uh, a tremendous uh, opportunity and skills that you can develop through uh, through your career. So um, I'm blessed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what courses do you teach here at Ryder now? I'm teaching, uh, I'm in between two colleges, mm-hmm. I'm the College of Arts and Sciences and also with the College of Education and, and Human Services. So for the College of Education and Human Services, I, uh, I'm in charge of the program of bilingual ESL, bilingual, uh, Spanish, ESL 
world language mm. education. <laughs> That's so, <a> mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, but I, I love it though. I love it. It's, 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 I mean, those classes are uh, one of my, my. Uh, I mean, I have many favorite. I, mm. I'm not going to say one of my favorite because I really yeah, do enjoy it. We are recording this. You're going to put know, it out there in the world. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's really one of the areas I, I get to in, in my field, which is uh, student uh, teacher training, right? Mm -hmm. And I teach uh, linguistics. Uh, for uh, is more like a practical linguistics, and then I teach uh, ESL, um, educating and evaluating the bilingual child. Mm -hmm. That is that is the other one, and then the teaching methods, the methods class, which is teaching a second language. Mm. So everything is around language. That's why I say, you know, what I do in for Spanish, for instance, in the College of Education, I just feel fortunate. Well, you know, the subject of this episode is diversity in schools, and that's a big topic because yes, there's yes. a million different types of ways mm -hmm. to talk about diversity but your particular specialty is linguistics bilingualism multilingualism and you probably know and everyone I've met hears this from me eventually that I view people who are able to speak other languages fluently it's a form of superpower to me yes. it, it's 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 like you've unlocked uh, the ability to, to traverse cultures continents uh, perspectives and It's one of those things that I look back in my own past and I really feel regret that I didn't emphasize it uh, or it wasn't emphasized with me in schools uh, because I did what basically every American school kid did, which is take a year and a half, two years of a language. And for me, it was French. Uh, and at this point, I can probably ask you where the bus is in French. But beyond that, I can't do much. And so one of the questions I want to talk to you about is how do we promote uh, a more diverse and more multicultural perspective among students, particularly in the area of linguistics, uh, when it seems like our K-12 system doesn't place an emphasis on it. Yeah, you're right when it's, it's about these perspectives. So let's start, and the United States, it hasn't been easy <laughs> in terms of linguistics, um, bilingualism. And I wish, as you said, you know, um, what you just said a few minutes ago, I wish I would have had more of a understanding of what that bilingualism was. But here in the States, it's not, it has not been like that. And everything comes from the perception of English. English is the lingua franca. English has this, this level of prestige, right? And with that level of prestige also comes that there are other languages that uh, will have the tendency to not be present or be invisible. Mm -hmm. And I think because is the lingua franca, the lingua franca is that language that everybody speaks outside to commerce, to navigate different waters, as I say. Um, but um, so there is, there is no need mm -hmm. pretty much to speak another language. However, right now we are, what we are seeing is that there is, uh, it, you know, that are many, a big population with Spanish, for instance. And, and Chinese and um, different languages that we have in the field have been trying to do a lot of work to make that awareness mm -hmm. of the importance of bilingualism. But that has not been easy. Two things that is stepping the way of multilingualism and bilingualism is mindsets, mm. is the first one. And what I just said, you know, the. English being in that level of prestige and not the need, right? There is this mentality, no, there, there, there is no need. I mean, what for? Mm. 
So with that mindset, then there is a tendency to look at those that are bilingual or multilingual with a perspective of what is lacking in them in English and not what they bring. Mm. And I think we have, first and foremost, to really start changing that mentality that is not that what is lacking in the person, but what it brings with it. That is not about replacing one language with another because our brain can process different languages. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are gifted in terms of the <laughs> well, languages what makes it. No, but every, and, and that's what it is. That's another thing. It's a gift that is everybody's gift. Mm. It is our in our best interest to really start. Um, you know, working on that skill earlier on. And but what happens in the States, it happens in high schools. Mm-hmm. It's not so much reinforced when you are young, when your brain can absorb. So it, starting like that, changing their mindset and how that mindset can be changed by understanding, mm. by reading, by having people in, in positions of uh, power and decision making that can really understand these uh, the the benefits of being bilingual. So, changing the mindset uh, from uh, lacking of uh, perspective uh, or replacing perspective to more of adding languages, because by adding it doesn't mean that it's taking resources from others. It's mm. not our everybody can become bilingual or multilingual at any point in their life. Yes, that is not going to be two native speakers. We can we cannot that by bringing native speaking uh, that that will take me into another direction. But um, <laughs> that is not about being perfect, right? In mm-hmm. in uh, if he's at the, if you at an older age you start uh, learning another language, but is the is the understanding that everybody can become multilingual. So that one mindsets and finances. Oh yeah. That is the other area. When we are when we are struggling with resources, the first thing that gets cut is areas of humanities. And in that area of humanities is languages. Oh. And languages is always the target. And uh, so because why? Because there is not that understanding. So what can we do? Let's just start first by by hopefully seeing the, um, uh, even for uh, our benefit and in many, many ways, is the power of bilingualism, Mm. as you call it. It's a superpower. Well, how many languages do you speak? Three. English, Spanish, Spanish, and French. And French. So, but yes, my, uh, and they are at different levels. Like my French, I, I because since I cannot use it that often, mm-hmm. but I can understand everything. For instance, my understanding and my reading abilities are really, really good in yeah. French. It, it's when I come to speak it, but I have to say I went to Paris and <laughs> I was able to navigate the water. Did so pretty good. Go. <laughs> go for my French teachers. <laughs> when you were growing up in Colombia, was there an emphasis? I mean, America is a nation of 330 million people and a great deal of diversity, but not an emphasis on learning other languages, uh, as we just pointed out. In Colombia, was there a cultural or educational emphasis on bilingualism, or is that something you were just drawn to? Oh, no, it's big. Mm. It's yeah. big. And again, English is the prestige language mm. around the globe. 
So mm. uh, for you to, if you go to Colombia, uh, you know, private education, for example, which is one of the biggest, even, even now uh, there are some initiatives in public schools that English, you start, English is, English is one of the subjects that you are exposed to very little. You start even in kindergarten. Mm. Uh, taking English classes in private schools, not so much in public schools due to, uh, but, but then you start say middle school, then they start with the English classes as part wow. of that. And it's everywhere. P uh, there are English academies everywhere and the schools, the, the private schools there, I don't think there is one left that doesn't say uh, bilingual school. Wow. Bilingualism is an asset, is something, is the superpower, as you call it, is something that you are drawn to, not to avoid it or replace it. That's fantastic. Well, we will be right back with more of our conversation with Dr. Maria Villalobos. Why do I step Buner, on Buner. Buner. Why do I step on that? I don't know. <laughs> because of the English. English is just, you know, the patterns. It's just, it, it's, yes, it's, it's my it's lousy right. language, no. uh, language abilities. <laughs> we'll be right back with more Pod Save the Teachers here on 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. We're back for more Pod Save the Teachers with Dr. Mark Piercy. Mark is back up at the blackboard and ready to chalk up some extra tips for teaching. So let's return to our seats and tune back in to Pod Save the Teachers on 1077 The Bronx. This is 1077 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com. Welcome back to Pod Save the Teachers, the official podcast of the College of Education and Human Services at Ryder University. I am your host, Dr. Mark Piercy, and I am here still with Dr. Maria Villalobos Buner. I was, yes, yes, during the break, I, I have now mispronounced Maria's name twice, <laughs> but because she is an expert on linguistics, she explained to me why I was mispronouncing it, and I feel much better now. It's not just me being poor at this. It's entirely about the, the nature of the sounds in Correct. the words, and it's a really compelling argument for the value of multiculturalism and multilingualism, that the ability to speak multiple languages allows me to traverse what otherwise would be difficult pronunciations. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Your brain is just you're training your brain, and that is a is a valuable thing to. We can start there if we give <laughs> ourselves uh, opportunities to do so. Well, yes. speaking of those opportunities, well, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was the challenges to developing this mindset that we talked about in the first segment. The idea of how do you promote a perspective of multilingualism, multiculturalism, and diversity in a teacher workforce that is eighty percent white and overwhelmingly monoethnic, while it is diversifying to a degree, uh, it is still really difficult to get people of color into the teaching uh, profession. Uh, how can we, you know, as a profession, as a community, as a nation, really start trying from the ground up to develop this idea that this perspective that you spoke of is vital uh, for what we do? Yes, I mean, in an ideal world, uh, we would like, I would like to see co uh, schools, right, working on that and, in, and really understanding the importance of uh, inviting the parents of those uh, students that bring with this asset, because it's an asset of uh, several languages to be part of the school, uh, of the school in, in the PTOs, for instance, in the parents, teacher, uh, parents uh, organizations in the schools districts and have a have a stronger voice if we and by having a stronger voice hearing what their not only their needs but what they can bring to the to the school i mean both things are important but in terms of us here in colleges 
we need to start in, in, in our colleges of education and have truly uh, help to promote a culture of that inclusiveness mm -hmm. that transpires in the way the curriculum is organized, in the way the activities outside extracurricular uh, uh, events are organized, uh, having the presence and make these topics of multi, not only the topics, uh, but open opportunities for these topics to be visible, mm. for the community to engage in really an honest and true conversation, and most importantly, to enact and see and help build a culture of understanding. In our, uh, in colleges around the nation, I see uh, initiatives of diversity, equity, and inclusion, but do not include uh, linguistic diversity. Mm -hmm. And that needs to happen. The other thing that needs to happen with that visibility, I mean, the more visible, the more support we give to this kind of, uh, of thinking, right? We will be working the mindset as mm -hmm. well. Uh, but also, the, one of the aspects that is uh, of these initiatives of diversity that I see enacted in colleges is the hiring of a diversified mm -hmm. uh, workforce. Absolutely. But we also need to understand that uh, ethnicity, right, doesn't mean that the person understands uh, diversity. That's a great right? point. So we also need to see what is that understanding and where it's coming from. That the fact that you are uh, ethnically diverse doesn't mean that you also understand what equ how equity looks like, mm -hmm. and that equity and equality is not the same thing, right? That, um, that we can actually see that understanding, mm. too. So we need people uh, uh, together, everything, right? That, um, that will form part of that in of those initiatives. So linguistic diversity, people obviously a diversified workforce, but a diversified workforce that also understands what these issues are in uh, in terms of. Well, I think one point that you made is that it can no longer be, or it can't just be that sense of lip service that, oh, diversity is important. We cherish diversity. Yeah, no. it's, it really has to be. There has to be intentionality behind it. That we are going to build these programs. And we are going to put the money behind it and the effort behind it and make them central to what we're doing because we can pat ourselves on the back all day long by saying, yes, we value diversity. But unless we're actually doing something about it, uh, nothing changes. I love that, that point of intentionality that you just mm -hmm. mentioned. Uh, and say even, even this moment that you open it for me, you mm -hmm. invited me to be talking about this. This is extremely important. And um, those moments are, uh, everybody can, mm -hmm. even as little as it can be, you know, every little helps, yep, right? Yep. Um, I would like to ask uh, uh, Vanessa, Vanessa, uh, I think Vanessa's voice can really uh, bring a whole lot of perspective here. And my, my question is, what draw you into the, into teaching? Yeah, so I, Obviously, I mentioned that I'm studying Spanish, um, special education, and ESL. Doctora Villalobos is actually, um, she's one of my professors for a lot of these things. Um, but what drew me to education, and specifically like Spanish and bilingual education, is that I'm Hispanic. I knew Spanish like all my life, but speaking it was very difficult. 
all my Spanish teachers out of, let's say I had five, two of them were Hispanic. The woman mm. that really taught me Spanish is a white woman. Mm. I love Mrs. Buck to death, but at the end of the day, like, there's still that lack of representation in my school district that I went to for high school. And that really motivated, motivated me to be that person that's like, okay, there's a bunch of Hispanic kids in this country that don't know Spanish. And there's a whole different way that a native can teach it than a non-native. Um, until I got to Ryder, I had never seen a professor that looked like me. Mm. And at the beginning of my sophomore year, I had Dr. Martinez. She's a Hispanic woman. She's crazy educated. She's insanely <laughs> intelligent. And she looks like me. We're like kind of pale. We have dark hair. Our hair is like wavy. And I was just like, I literally was stunned when I saw her because I was like, what? It was kind of like looking in a mirror. And I was like, wow. She's Hispanic. She's a professor in a school. She's teaching these things about uh, Hispanic cultures and stuff. I can do it. Yep. That's like your visual representation of seeing like you're represented in the school faculty. It was amazing. So I really want to be that representation for kids in middle schools or high schools anywhere, honestly, to be like, you see me doing it, you could do it too. It's not impossible. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's why I that's got drawn to That's hugely powerful. Again. I mean, that's an incredibly powerful story because it, it illustrates the value of representation and you know, to keep using the reference we made earlier, it, it is a superpower. It's a it's a, an ability to open the world. And, I, and for me, particularly being a kid who was, you know, pretty cloistered, grew up in the South, uh, there was some racial diversity in my background, but in my teaching career, very little uh, at the beginning. And now having the opportunity to travel abroad uh, as part of Ryder University study abroad program to see not only diverse backgrounds, but to see the ability of people to communicate in different languages routinely and for me being monolingual, uh, it, it, you kind of see that I've lived much of my life with, you know, to use a metaphor, with one hand tied behind my back. That, you know, I have abilities and that, that could allow me to experience the world more fully and ideally to help my students more. And so I think Vanessa's example is a great one. I, I think so. Uh, one of the things that Vanessa was saying is about that she looks like me, which is... Mm -hmm. uh, it is, it is powerful, and I do understand the, this part of what I was talking about, uh, ethnic diversity, and, but also an understanding in, in, the, in, in this case. And um, in my case, um, why? <laughs> mm -hmm. Right? And that, I, think, I think that is my privilege. I don't look like my students. My students will cannot say um, I'm Latina, but I'm as Latina as it can be. Mm -hmm. My color doesn't, is not visible. My color comes through my voice. And, and I think that also, in a way, is one of the things that I have had very hard. It's almost like you do not, that there is that aspect of that doesn't allow to be that representation in mm -hmm. a way, because there is not that you don't, again, looking is extremely important. Absolutely, but it also is the mindset. There are mm -hmm. other things that are more complex that play a role in all of this. Mm -hmm. And in this, in this case, is we need to really understand that we are a variety. That, say, Latino is such a diverse 
um, aspect in itself. And that there are that I, and we were talking about my daughter, for instance, being, um, she feels so strongly Latino, mm-hmm. but had a hard time in high school because she was tar- she was labeled as white. Mm. And, and I think um, we need to understand that we come in different shapes, forms. Absolutely. And I think it comes from position ourselves to that flexibility of acceptance of the other in a way that the labels don't come through. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we have to, that, that's an important part of, say, process to start moving towards that direction. Well, it's central to the American creed, too. I mean, that's what a pluribus unum means, out of many, one. Yeah. You know, and the idea that the diversity is not a, a threat or a exactly. weakness, but it's a virtue. Exactly. And in my case, I do understand that I have a privilege just by the way I look. Mm. It is very important that we understand the privilege. What, but most importantly, what I do with that privilege. So for me, it's an advantage to really help, mm. right? However, as soon as I open my mouth, and as you can see, you can, you can hear accent, poof, all those privileges almost disappear. Mm. However, I know I still have the first moment, and <laughs> I take an advantage, not as a privilege for me, but as a privilege to really set and open the conversation. You know what I, I mean? I do, yes. So um, I think that is important. What? Now watch this, Vanessa, I'm about to do a real podca- podcast host thing. Ready? Oh gosh. Well, we're, we are very privileged to have you as our guest today here on Pod Save the Teachers. That was slick, wasn't it? That was slick, that, that was, was pretty slick. good, yep, there you go. Uh, thank you so much, this has been fascinating. Uh, but before you go, of course, we have uh, the games we play with all of our guests. Although you informed me before we recorded that one of these games is is going to be pointless to begin with, mascot fight, because cool. mascot fight, of course, is always my high school, mas- high school mascot versus our guest's high school mascot. But tell us about Columbia and school mascots. You have none, right? No, we don't. We do not have When I say, what is my mascot? I said, no, in, in my BA, uh, in my uh, Bachelor of Arts, in my first university experience, we don't. And, um, and there is a reason for that. Sure. I mean, I guess the mascot here in the United States, sports is such an important uh, mm-hmm. aspect of, of the life. I mean, I can see it permeated everything from high school, uh, it's that, that, that sports spirit, colleges. I mean, students choose um, colleges based on their mascot, on, on, <laughs> they too. Yeah. on their sports, right? Yeah. In in uh, Colombia, I'm going to talk about. I you know I feel comfortable saying in many. Let's use the word many, Latin American countries is soccer. Yeah. Right, but that happens outside of your work, outside of your schooling. Right? Okay. Because sports really the only sports that really is their king is soccer. Mm-hmm. And that is more at the, say, state level or city level. Okay. Not so much at the uh, school level. So that's why that mascot or representation or symbolism moves more towards uh, outside of that okay. schooling life. Do you have a favorite club team or city team in, Cal- in Columbia? Oh, yes. I and mean, that can break. That can divide families. Oh. Mark, that can oh, divide no. families the same way that here. What are the two 
in New York, no, here, Phillies. <laughs> the Eagles and the, Eagle, the Jets and the Giants. Uh, yeah. You know more than, yes. So that is, that is the kind of rivalry that okay. will go. So in my, in my, in my city is America, Cali, and uh, America and Cali's uh, okay. sport teams. And uh, if in my family, if you were not a uh, supporter of American, oh my Oh boy, gosh. okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the mascot is the devil. Oh, well, all right, then that's pretty good. Cause if we went with my high school mascot, it's a Patriot who's a colonial yeah. soldier, but uh, I've often used the high schools that I worked at. And so the very first high school I worked at was Lemon Bay High School, home of the Manta Rays. Oh. So I think a devil will win. No the devil what. will yeah, win. Yeah, I think yes. for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right, the next game we play is called Try Before You Die, which is where you recommend one thing to everybody before they leave the earth, uh, something to eat, something to experience, something to drink, someplace to visit. What would you recommend? Hands down, live abroad. Live abroad. That's where I was able to gain a sense of as a Colombian mm. when I was outside of my country. That's a great point, yeah. Beautiful experiences. Every experience that I have had abroad has been fantastic. I mean, everybody should do that. Mm. Hands down, work or study abroad. Fantastic. For And hopefully for, for a long time. That, make, that puts yourself in uh, situations of discomfort, unknown, and all that are the best teaching moments of your life. That's excellent. Mm -hmm. All right, well, before you go, one last thing, the question we ask all of our guests before they leave. Now, you are not a New Jersey native, but you've lived in New Jersey for quite a while, right? <laughs> not yet. So you might have an opinion on this as a non-New Jerseyan. I don't, but I'm fascinated by people's responses. Oh Is there a central New Jersey? I think so. Okay. <laughs> After many, many, uh, it's very, very interesting because we, we talk about that in linguistics. Mm. Uh, 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 but I have not been able to determine the specific, okay, pork, like, through language, right? Yes. I know, uh, be, and hey, we have our governor, Phil, uh, Phil, Phil Murphy, Murphy yep. Yep. who is a central Jersey. He believes in it. <laughs> so yep, he believes right. in it. He believes in it. So yes, there is a, a central Jersey, and uh, in, in my in my view, um, are we in it right now? Yes, we are. This is writer is in central Jersey. Okay. Uh, according to me, according to how hey, I understand, you're the expert. Uh, no, no, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm actually not. I'm still. Uh, I'm still. Um, you know. <laughs> Mainly from a linguistic standpoint, uh, I have not really, for me, linguistically, it's mostly like the very north or the very south, mm -hmm. right? Like pork roll, <laughs> I think, is one of those words. Or Taylor ham. Taylor ham. Right? What is Taylor ham? Uh, is it more Taylor north? Taylor ham is pork. I think I had always thought it was more north, but, the, but now uh, I'm. Vanessa can, can tell us. Yeah, She's but I'm meeting here. more students now who say that pork roll is becoming more universal. I've even met some New Jersey students over this you know, the most recent semester who not only have no opinion on it, have never had it, mm -hmm. which to me has been shocking because it seems like that's a staple food for nearly every New Jerseyan. Like the, which one, the pork roll? Pork roll. The pork roll. So when I ask them pork roll or Taylor ham, they go, eh, then I don't really care, which to me is, is that's that's amazing. Is, is Taylor ham, Vanessa, from the South or North, you know? I would say North Jersey. North I think because... I had never heard of what Taylor Ham was until I like <laughs> came here. Apparently, Taylor Ham is the brand. It is the it's, brand it's of brand. the most popular brand. I've of always pork heard roll. of pork roll. Yeah. 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 I don't really have I an mean, opinion. I don't really eat it. 
far as I can tell, it's just like fried bologna, but I don't want to. Basically. Yeah, I don't want to pick a fight, and I don't want listeners, don't go hunt me down. I'm fine with pork roll. Call it what you want. I am an outsider. Just merely this can think of this as anthropological surveys. I'm just, I'm studying the populace. That's all. (laughs) So it seems like I would say there is a central Jersey. We're going to put that down. Central New (laughs) Jersey. Excellent. Well, Maria, thank you so much for visiting with us today. We really appreciate it. Uh, And we'll be right back here on Pod Save the Teachers with our student spotlight with a special guest, a special student this time around, uh, which you'll find out when we come back from the break. This is Pod Save the Teachers on 107.7 The Bronx, 107.7 TheBronc.com. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We're back for more Pod Save the Teachers with Dr. Mark Piercy. Mark is back up at the blackboard and ready to chalk up some extra tips for teaching. So let's return to our seats and tune back in to Pod Save the Teachers on 107.7 The Bronx. This is 1077 The Bronx, 1077 thebronkcom Welcome back to Pod Save the Teachers, the official podcast of the College of Education and Human Services at Ryder University. I am still your host, Dr. Mark Piercy. And it's time now for our student spotlight. And it occurred to us, this is now our fifth episode. And this entire time we've had a student, not just a student, but an exemplary student here in the studio with us. So it's time today to focus the student spotlight on our student producer, Vanessa Rivera. Vanessa, how are you doing? Hey, Dr. Percy. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm swell. Now, I, I, you gave me this news off mic, but I feel like I need to share it with the listening audience. Tomorrow is your birthday. Yep. 21. Yep. 21. Wow. All right. So yep. you, are you going to, you know, partake? You're going to? Yeah, tomorrow. So since like my birthday is on a Tuesday, which is our very random day. And I have class all day, so me and my mom are just going to catch happy hour on the border. Since that's like her thing to get margaritas. So we're going to get a margarita together. There you go. That's outstanding. All right, so 21, you get to drink. And then 25, you can run for the House of Representatives. Oh, wow. And 30, (laughs) you can run for the Senate. Uh, And then 35, you can be president. And then after that, it's, I mean, it's nothing until like 65. And then you can get Social Security. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so this is the first of the big milestones. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Do you feel like a grown up yet? Not at all. Okay. <laughs> maybe when I get my own property, then maybe I'll feel like a grown up. No, the dirty little secret of grown ups is that nobody ever really feels like a grown up at any point. Okay, great. That's Better I know now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Vanessa, tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from, where you went to school, uh, why you decided to come to Ryder, and why you want to be a teacher. Okay, so go way back when, back to 2002. Um, <laughs> I was born in Georgia. My parents are in the military. My dad is still in the military. My mom was in the military. Um, so I lived in Georgia. We moved up to Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. So I was there from kindergarten to fourth grade. And then halfway through fourth grade, I came to Burlington, New Jersey, graduated high school over there, and now I'm at Ryder. And tell me what school? Burlington Township High School. Burlington, home of the fighting? Falcons. The who? Falcons. Oh, the Falcons. Which yeah. is the Rockets. Okay. That would be better. Maybe. We're going to put it to a test in a minute here. <laughs> I think a Rocket would win. Well, for, for a Falcon? <laughs> for very likely. Yeah. Okay. Um, I ended up at Ryder simply because it was the most affordable. Mm-hmm. It was, surprisingly, um, <laughs> it's the closest, so I can commute. I only live 30 minutes away. So yeah, there you go. instead of spending a lot more money living here, I just live at home. And you are a junior now, yeah. right? And that means you're starting your methods classes this semester, right? Yeah. Okay, and you're in SED 431 and with our first guest, our first guest, Dr. Casey. Yeah, she's my professor this there semester. There you go. And then second set of methods next semester, and then student teaching in spring. 
Yep. And then you're done, right? It's happening all very fast. (laughs) So what's the dream? Now, your secondary ed. So, of course, that, you know, for people who don't know, secondary ed means it's grades 6 through 12. So what's your dream grade to teach and, and dream subject? So I'm specializing in Spanish special education and mm-hmm. English as a second language. I'm not too set on a grade quite yet. Mm-hmm. I enjoy middle school very much. I don't know if it has to do with the fact that my brother's in middle school and me and him kind of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I am more of an intellectual than he is, but at times we're on the same wave. Mm-hmm. I think middle schoolers are hilarious. They really are. They really are. That, that I've come to, to learn uh, since I, I came to Ryder, I never taught middle school in my life, but I, I mean, only ever taught high school and I loved high schoolers. But now that I'm in middle schools all the time, when I'm supervising student teachers mm-hmm. or part of field experiences, I, I see it. They are, they're fun. They're goofy. They're just, you know, cause they're not kids, kids. They're potty trained. So that's great. <laughs> um, they're not kids, kids, but they're not like at that age in high school where they're like, I'm an adult. I can do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. Be serious. No, you're not. And they're still, funny. They still kind of like school a little yeah. bit too. They, don't, they would never admit it, but they kind of enjoy being in class and they, they're curious and they're, you know, they're inquisitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I get it. They are high maintenance. You know, there's a lot of energy there. Yeah, especially like puberty, mm-hmm. feelings, everything is going haywire at that age. Now, could you see yourself teaching high school? I could. So mm-hmm. I came into freshman year when I came to writer. My thing was high school Spanish teacher. Mm-hmm. Boom. With um, our guest, Dr. Villalobos, she's actually my advisor. Yes. And then she told me, add special education and ESL. I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and now I love everything. So it's like, you, I'm torn. You are employable is what yes. you are. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of job offers when you come out of here. That's outstanding. Yeah. All right. Well, listen, you know, of course, as part of our show, you've known, you've heard people doing this over yes. and over again. <laughs> and so we always, with our guests, we invite them to play these games, our interview games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the first one, of course, we just alluded to, Mascot Fight, Burlington Township High School, home of the Fighting Falcons. Mm-hmm. Uh, of my of my mascots, let's see. Of course, I went to Pinellas Park, home of the Patriots. Uh, I have a musket, but I don't Wait, think... Wait, my- are we using the Patriots or are we using the Manta Rays? Well, that's... Yeah, last episode, I, I went with the Manta Ray. And I think that's probably fair because me with the gun is always a singular advantage, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if your aim's good, then you have a shot. Yeah, I don't know, though. I don't know if I could pick off a Falcon. Yeah, we're flying. Yeah, and you're quick. You know, like the Peregrine Falcon is the fastest animal on Earth. And so if you're a Peregrine Falcon, I'm screwed. There's no way I could get you. Okay. Manta Ray... I couldn't hurt a falcon, but for sure, I don't think a falcon can hurt me yeah. as a manta ray. So we'll call that one a push. Hmm. Uh, the other one, Braden River Pirates. Uh, I would sit on your shoulder. That's true. We might become allies. But that's a parrot, isn't it? Well, that would be make me a particularly flashy pirate if I had a falcon for a mascot instead of a parrot. Call us a team. Okay, there you go. <laughs> All right, that works. All right, the next game, of course, uh, is Try Before You Die. One experience, one thing you think everybody should try, whether it's something to eat, something to drink, some place to visit, something to do, something that everyone should have a chance to experience before they leave planet Earth. What do you think? Oh, that's hard. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give a shout-out to one of the motherlands. So my dad's from Honduras, Uh and a couple years ago we traveled to 
we landed in San Pedro Sula, which is like a beachier area. Then we went to Tela. I would definitely say, ooh, no, Copang was my favorite city. Really? In, um, in Honduras that we visited for like vacation. And like you can visit um, the ruins. I don't know. I don't think they're Mayan. Ooh. They might be. I'm not sure. I don't remember. Oh, you that was a had me at ruins right there. They that, were very nice. It I was bet. lovely. Is the the city you mentioned? Is that on the beach or is that in the mountains or is that? That's like in the mountains, I think. Oh my! It was I, great. I, ne- I have heard. I've heard Honduras is lovely. You it's great. I, yeah. Oh boy. Okay, you talked me into it. Honduras. I'm yeah. going. Uh, okay. Now, of course, the stupidest game we play: slang exploder. Uh, where a member of Generation Z brings me a piece of slang. Got my list. Oh, we have a list. All right. Let's hear it. Okay. I have three. Okay. Oh, no, I have four. No, three. I counted wrong. Okay. This is why I study Spanish and not math. Um, (laughs) My words are bugging, gassing, and no cap. Bugging, gassing, and no cap. Yeah. Okay. So let's go with bugging first. How How do I use bugging? Bugging is like someone that's like, they're doing too much like... Like I'm too busy. Like they're freaking out. Like, all right, oh. you're doing too much. You're bugging. You're bugging. Yeah. It, bugging meaning like because like causing a scene, kind of. It's like all right. Now we'll say bugging was was in use, uh, probably in the '90s. Hmm. But at that same time, definition. Well, no, it meant like you were crazy. You're bugging. Yeah. Okay. Similar. But here, bugging would also mean that you're you're kind of losing your mind. You're going. You're you're on the frayed edge. You're kind of yeah. It's okay. The, like. More situational. Now. You got to slow down. You're bugging. Like yeah. that? Okay. Yeah, you could use it like that. All right. You're working too hard, Vanessa. You're bugging. Hey, you're bugging. Take a show <laughs> pill. This sounded <laughs> cringy even to me when I said it. All right, so that's bugging. What am I, what am I doing with gassing? Gassing is like exaggerating. Okay. So gassing would be if you are, well, give me an example. Probably better if you give me an example. I'm trying to think of like specific examples with my brother. Because me and him speak only in slang, and our parents are like, can you speak English to us, please? <laughs> um, let's see. If he's like, oh, that sports player, he's like, he's really good. I'd be like, you're gassing. He's, yeah. not, even, he's not even that great. You're gassing. Okay. Like yeah. If I got up and said, oh, man, I had to get up so early, and I had to move all this stuff, and it weighed like a million pounds. You go, you're gassing. Yeah. Like that? Be like, it was like five pounds. Relax. Okay. All right, bugging and gassing, and then and now the final one, the wrap up, no cap. No cap. Okay. Which is like no lie. No way. Like no lie. No lie. Oh, no cap. Yeah. yeah. No cap. Like I had to drive like a hundred miles to get here. No cap. Yeah. Would I say it as like where the period goes? Like that would be punctuation, or would I say it and you go, huh, really? And I go, no cap. Both. I can do both. Yeah. Okay. It's very versatile. So, for example, if I I said, I had a great time recording this podcast with you, no cap. Yeah. That would work? Yeah, that would work. Oh, see? You don't sound so dad-like when you're saying these words. I think we're making progress. I think I'm getting there. I think, in (laughs) fact, it it would not be gassing to say that I've achieved (laughs) fluency in, no, that's that's too much? Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. Okay. All right. But but I'm, I'm, I'm growing my language, which you, as a language educator, has to consider commendable, right? Yes. Perfect. All I right. You. Okay, so our final question, of course, as always, just answer the question, is there a central New Jersey? Yeah. Where is it? Are we in it? We are in it. Um, 
on 295. I guess it would start around like. It's 60. So that's like Trenton. Okay. That's when it uh, stops or that's when, when it starts. Oh, it starts. Okay. Like, mm, actually. I don't know. Maybe even <laughs> Bordentown would be like the start of like central. What we need to get for this podcast is a big map and we yeah. need to put it up in the studio and we need everyone who comes in here to draw on there. We'll have different colored markers or maybe colored pins or something and people can put where they the borders are and the people who don't believe in central New Jersey won't have to do this, but the ones who do will have to illustrate where it is because I need clarity on this at this point. Yeah, this is tough. Okay. Well, no cap. No cap. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, folks, that has been it for Pod Save the Teachers. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, th- you've you've been. <laughs> I'm I'm now laughing at myself for the use of that. It's hard to wrap up when you do something that dumb at the end. Uh, you've been listening to Pod Save the Teachers, the official podcast of the College of Education and Human Services at Ryder University. I have been your host, Dr. Mark Piercy. Uh, Pod Save the Teachers is available on our website, 1077thebronc.com, as well as the following platforms: Amazon, Anchor, Apple, Castbox, Google Pod- Google Podcasts. Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify. Pod Save the Teachers was produced by Vanessa Rivera. Catch our live broadcast on the last Saturday of each month at 8 a.m. or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks very much, and we'll see you the next episode. Thanks for tuning in to Pod Save the Teachers, only on 1077 The Bronx. To listen to previous episodes and obtain further information, head on over to 1077thebronc.com slash podsavetheteachers. Pod Save the Teachers is brought to you by the College of Education and Human Services. We'll see you bright and early next Saturday at 8 a.m., only on 1077 The Bronx.